0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I am a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. So I love the book of uh, I love the, the sermons of Peter. I am um, working on that in uh, adult Sunday school class. We're going through and preaching some of the uh, or teaching some of the sermons of Peter, and I guess um, as like a lot of people, as I think about the different people in the Bible who I might identify with, um, you know, I think about Elijah and I thought, no, I don't know that I could stand up to kings. And then I think about, you know, Paul and I think, no, no, I don't have those kind of advanced degrees and training. Uh, he's just, he's, but Peter, Peter's just a common guy. He's, I identify with the way he thinks and identify with his passion, albeit not always necessarily under control. So uh, I love reading after him. And one of the things that I love about Peter is that as we talk about the topic today, which is going to be live for the will of God, live for the will of God. uh, I believe Peter is a great example of that. Being called early in Jesus's ministry, leave what you're doing, come and follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And during the course of time, he would even tell Peter, Satan's desire to sift you like wheat. As a matter of fact, in one version, it says he's demanded that he have you. But the Bible says, Jesus says assuring words. He says, but I have prayed for you. He's prayed for him. And when he's recovered, he's going to strengthen the brethren. That's exactly what he did. It's a good thing to know this. No matter what stage of life we're in, no matter what we're experiencing, God has designs on our life that superimpose our will and superimpose circumstances. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I don't know how we're going to be able to do this in this set of circumstances. You can't. We just really can't carry this mission out, uh, humanly speaking. It's too big. It's too complex. Uh, Just when you think about... Just the, 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 the whole process of getting along, a group of people getting along to make something happen. That's pretty challenging, isn't it? Right? Think about it in your own family. So take it from the church setting. Put it in the family setting. Is it really easy for everyone in your family to decide on where they want to eat lunch today? No. People are just people, right? So it's the way they are. Peter even uses this phrase, the way they are, the way people are but we've got something that's precious about the work of the church in Jesus Christ. It's supernatural. There's something supernatural that's occurring. It, it, we should use logic as much as we can. We should plan, and we do that. We've had meetings this month already, planning for the future, and uh, we're excited about Marcus and Morgan and and how they will uh, their Christian life will be a blessing to other people, and, and we, we see that in other people as well, right? We're just continuing to try to create opportunities uh, for people to serve. And uh, we're thankful for everyone who is serving. Peter writes the letter to encourage both Jews and Gentiles to trust the Lord and obey Him. And not just when things are going easy or popular, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of a hostile culture. Think about the world that the first century church lived in. They were dominated by a totalitarian regime, and they were surrounded in the various uh, cities under the Roman provinces, uh, just straight-up paganism. Uh, Christianity was spreading, but it was spreading in the midst of a hostile environment. And so let's begin reading in uh, chapter 4. And we're going to come back to that thought of kind of where they are. But let's read 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the, in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks of one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a wonderful passage. It, it is perfect for us to consider what we're getting ready to go into, and that's our small group season. So there are many ministries that we're working to build out. We, we got some announcements today about Sunday School, and, and we're hoping to take that from once a month to every week. There's things that we're doing, praying about, and planning, and, and uh, seeking God's will, and, and and um, But all of this involves people, right? It involves people serving. And the reason why I thought about this passage, and I think it's interesting that Peter points this out, uh, as he challenges and encourages people to live for the will of God, is because there's a lot of other ways that we can live. Is there not? There are, right? We could live for a financial, ideal financial retirement. And I used to didn't even really think about retirement that much, but as each year passes by, that, that, that reality that I'm not going to be able to function at the same level of excellence that I functioned at when I was in my 30s and 40s and early 50s, that's kind of creeping up on me. So you start thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to not only stay busy, but how am I going to serve the Lord in this part of my life as I live? And I think everyone should be thinking about that, no matter how old you are. Begin thinking, how am I going to live my life? What is my target? What am I really living to achieve? Some might say, you know, it's, I've got a financial number, or I've got this thing we're working, and we're working hard, and we're going, to, we're going to get there. And I think that it's good to have goals and to work hard. If you don't have goals, you need to set goals, because goals are important for the human brain to function at its, at its best, at its peak. But there's something that, as a Christian, as we heard in the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, we belong to Jesus Christ. It's not the same as the world. We belong to Jesus. The salvation that we have in Christ is so great, and it is so marvelous. We have a rest coming. For the people of God, there is a great rest coming. And that's an eternity in heaven with our people, And with the Lord, and as Jeff preached, I think it was last year, preached, "What's it going to be like? Are we going to be up there in clouds, uh, just doing strumming harps?" And he said, "No, I think we're going to be working." But the difference is, we won't be burdened down with all this sin, and we won't be burdened down with an evil culture all around us. And God's going to have things to do. We're going to be in unity. We're going to be happy, and we're going to be fulfilled. and And that is our future. It's unfortunate that in this life. Lost people see this world as their only heaven. So they work and strive to get everything they can out of what this life offers. It's easy as Christians for us to get swept away in that, isn't it? You say, well, I'm not, I'm not modeling myself after that. And we we'll hope not, right? I, I'm trying not to as well. But I must admit, I'm influenced by it. I see it in my life, in the failures, in my thinking, and in sometimes in the things that I value. So we got to ever be vigilant for that and watch out for it. So the world, as, as Peter points out, the world is the pagan world around us is living in sensuality, evil desires, drunkenness, excessive eating, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. And it describes both their motives and their deeds. They're motivated by this at a core level. And because they're motivated by that, their deeds reflect that. But not so with the Christian. God has saved us from that. He has put to death in us this controlling uh, sin nature in us. We don't have to be dominated by that anymore. And we are capable of living in the spirit. And that's what God calls us to do, right? To live in the spirit. The interesting thing is we, we don't walk away from the world easy, do we? Because the scripture says this, they see that you don't join them. And they're totally surprised by that. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where they're talking and they have a very worldly, ungodly viewpoint? And not that you're overly critical, you just give a different viewpoint. The shock on their face. They look like, where are you coming from, right? They They can't understand it. And as a matter of fact, sometimes, depending on the situation, sometimes if it's personal enough or if the issue they feel strongly enough, they'll even malign you over it. There's a temptation to do whatever we can not to be maligned. It's the normal human behavior. Go with the flow. And God certainly wants us to be gentle and kind in the way that we interact with people. He doesn't want us to be harsh. He doesn't want us to be condemning because the men and women in this world do have a judge. And, and Peter al- already points that out, that they will be judged one day. They don't need us as the judge. They need us to share the gospel and to provide a way of ministry. We, they need to see in us the contrast. Some will malign, but praise God through the gospel, some will be converted through that. And that's why we do what we do. So one of the things that God wants us to do, and I think we're just going to kind of point out a few things quickly because I want to get to the application part of it that's about what we're going to do with our small groups. In living for the word of God or living for the will of God, we see uh, ready yourself for battle. And the the, the terminology is arm yourself, right? Well, that's that's, that's a military kind of uh, terminology, isn't it? Arm yourself. Get ready for a battle because when you serve the Lord, it is joyful and a blessing. But it's not easy. There is resistance to that. And you need to prepare yourself for it. The battle starts in our brains, right? The discouragement. Where does discouragement start? In the fingertips? The feet? Well, if you go to Disney World, maybe the feet. But other than that, it starts in the head, does it not? We we have a, a visitor here, so we're gonna we don't know if demons inhabit wasps, but it's a possibility. Maybe a little opposition right here. We'll use them as an object lesson. We need to ready ourselves for battle. It's not coming to the ministry with a a a attitude of wanting to, So is that the sword of the Spirit or was that the belt of truth? I'm not quite certain. We see this in verse one, right? He wants us, God wants us to think like Jesus. He wants us to think like him. As opposed to what? Thinking like the world. Yeah, well, I don't think like the world. Oh. I bet if we get in the quietness and we really try to examine. Why do we do what we do? I think we, if we were honest with ourselves, we don't have to talk to anybody else about it. Just be honest with yourself. I think you, we would be a little more shocked at how influenced we are by this unbelieving world. And I had a very dear friend, I've mentioned this before in a sermon, a very dear friend of mine preached a message one time on the barrenness of a busy life. And maybe we're not guilty of some of the paganistic things that I just read, like the drunken parties and, you know, all this kind of, you know, rabble-rousing. But we can get our life so busy full of things that are just okay. They're not necessarily sins. But we cram that life so busy full of things that there's no room left for ministry. It's intentional. When Jesus, when when Peter is speaking to to, uh, the Jews and Gentiles, and he's saying, arm yourself, it's intentional. Do you accidentally pick up a gun? Do you accidentally pick up a sword? It's not an accident, right? This is an intentional act. Arm yourselves. So the scripture has some wonderful things at other parts of the text. Romans 13, 12 calls it the armor of light. We have an example of what Christ did in 1 Peter 3.18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. That's who we're to model. We're to model that. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, Romans 13.14. This is intentional. It doesn't, like, happen to us. It's something that we have to discipline ourselves and intentionally do. And it's going to, imply, it's going to include sacrifice. Is, is there a Christian life without sacrifice? It can't be because Jesus is the model. And since Jesus is the model for this... Then sacrifices included. We see in Ephesians uh, 6, 10 through 20, we won't go there for the sake of time, but uh, it talks about this, this putting on armor, right? And it likens getting, getting ourselves spiritually prepared for the work of the ministry uh, and likening the gifts that God gives us to armaments or protective gear, and some of it's offensive and some's defensive. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes, readiness of the gospel of peace, The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, praying at all times in the Spirit. That sounds intentional, does it not? So, here's the question. Are you intentional about your Christianity? Is it intentional every day? You say, well, probably not like it should be. Okay, well... That's good. That's a good first step, right? The next step, though, is to take steps to be intentional. So if there are things in your life that are preventing you from having communion with God, it may be sin in your life that is really preventing you from praying. It's, it's inhibiting your prayers. It may be disrupting your marriage if you're, if you're married. It may be inter- interrupting your ability to properly carry out good Christian friendships May struggle with that. We have good news. If we confess our sin, God's faithful. He'll forgive us. We have a path that we could put ourselves on, and that's get ourselves in the Word, consistently pray every day. Say, I don't, I don't know. I've tried it. It just, I'm not, I don't know. It just seems overwhelming. It can be. But God is faithful and God is good. God wants us to be faithful about. Uh, these things and intentional. One of the first things he tells us to do is to be self-controlled and sober for the sake of your prayers. So praying is integral to your spiritual life. If you read your Bible and don't pray, that's half of the process God wants you to have. God wants you to read the word, get that into your mind, but he also wants you to pray, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. If we live a lack of, if we live a life that does not have self-control and does not have uh, a soberness to it, then it's the Bible specifically says. Peter says this is going to inhibit your prayers. You're not going to be the kind of praying Christian you need to be. So we need to we need to listen to that. And he says above all, keep loving one another. Keep loving one another. I love that. I think that's a strength of our church. Is that. We started off with a tight group of people that loved each other, but were open to love more. Sometimes churches all start off with a tight group of people that love each other and they don't want any more. Well, I'm glad to say that's not the spirit of, of the leaders or the people, the families in this church. The families want to love more people, they want to open up their lives and love more. It's one of the reasons that God gives us gifts. So why why does God give us spiritual gifts? Peter addresses that here. He says, God has given you gifts. And he wants you to use the gifts to what end? To serve each other. To serve one another. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did not come to be served. He came to serve. And we're to follow that example. And so Peter points out, if you're going to be speaking Speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. If you're going to be serving, serve by the strength that God supplies. Sometimes we look at something and we go, I don't know. I like beat. I don't know if I could add one more thing to my life. And sometimes that's the way we kind of think about serving the Lord. Let me just say what, I'm, what, what the way I think about this from my own practical experience. I've had to cut things out of my life in order to make room to serve the Lord. We make decisions every day, do we not? So if we weren't serving the Lord, what would we do? Oh, we could be doing this, 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 or this. That's true. All those things are true. Life does not happen to us. We make life choices. And in those life choices, it determines whether we're going to volunteer our time, whether we're going to serve the Lord in the church, whether we're going to be intentional about how we speak to one another. And what I mean by that is this, there's people that are not teachers, They're not pastors, they're not elders, they're not deacons, they're not worship directors or worship ministers. They're not leading the church in a particular focus on God's word, but you know what they can do? And they do it right now. There's people in this church, every time you talk to them, you're going to walk away and you're going to go, life is good. I feel good. What is that ministry? I don't know what it is. But it is someone who, when they're here, they intentionally reach out to talk to you, open up their life to you, and in doing so, they have the joy of the Lord on their face and it's reflected in their lips, in the words that they say, the words that they use are not words that kind of leave you down. They make you feel up. It's because of the joy of the Lord they have in their heart and they can't keep it inside. It goes out. So I want to challenge you. When you come to church, that's something that we can do. When we speak, speak as the oracles of God. What that means is we should be edifying one another, building one another up, and we can do that. Sometimes it's just being cheerful. Sometimes it's just being prayerful. Something we've done during the week, we tell that person when we see them, I love you, and I've been praying for you this week. I was thinking about you the oracles of God. Serving, God will give you the strength. If you feel like you have nothing to give, I want you to, I challenge you to do this prayer. Begin praying every morning, Lord, give me a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and give me a desire to serve. Now, practice that in your home. Instead of looking tit for tat as to who's doing the most work, outdo everyone in your home for work. What the scripture says to us, right, in another passage, outdo one another. Husbands and wives can get really into trouble on this because they'll say, well, what am I, your servant? <laughs> yeah, sometimes we feel that way, right? We feel like we're getting the short end of the stick. Hey, you know what? If you intentionally make yourself the short end of the stick, the short end of the stick becomes the prize. Don't see it as, don't see service as something that you're under the yoke of that people are taking advantage of you. See service as a way that you could glorify God with your life. See what happens. Watch what happens. If you got a spouse and you're serving them with all your heart, and you're trying to outdo them and they just don't really see it, we'll pray for that God that they will see it and that they will take up the challenge. The way we live affects the way we pray. The way we pray affects how things change, move, and the way we experience life. I don't know how. I don't have the the answer for that, but I know that it's true. Well, what is the end? Why do we do these things? We do these things for the glory of God. And we have a beautiful ending to this section here. To him belongs glory and dominion forever. It belongs to him. It belongs to him. He he intrinsically is worthy of all these things. It's what motivates us. It's why we see a building as a blessing, but it's really, as, as, as Pastor Daniel said, it is a means to an end that we can bless people. It's so that we can reach more people. The building's a tool to reach people. People are what God wants us to do. Share the gospel with them disciple them, and then serve him by being a blessing to others. So what is the small group strategy for this church? We're getting ready to start February. What is the strategy? The strategy is that we want to use small groups to know Jesus. We want to know him better. We want to know one another better. We want to make Jesus known to people who have never met him. And we want to make disciples. Let that sink in. is that what's, what's what we're supposed to be doing every day, right? Well, we're going, to, we're going to give a platform for that in that small group. It is an avenue to ministry. It's an avenue for you to participate in the lives of people. We're going to be geographic in coverage. That is for your benefit. We're going to try to look at the city surrounding the church and say, how can we make it easier for people to get to a home group or a small group and then enjoy that level of fellowship? So the strategy is going to be geographic. And we're going to start off with few home groups, but we're going to build and we're going to add home groups as the Lord blesses. The fellowship, it's going to be expansive in nature. In other words, we're going to utilize small groups to add people to our church. When people visit and they're just kind of visiting us during home group season, we're going to invite them to a home group. Now, the host needs to be aware of it or needs to maybe be the invitor, but not necessarily as long as you're in in union with each other. Invite a person geographically that's near you. That's going to mean we have to talk to people when they come in the door, does it not? We've got to find out where they are. What's your name? Where do you live? We want to know you. What does that mean to a person who feels empty in that area of life? They come through the doors, and we say, we want to know you, and we're going to give you a place to be known. That's powerful. It's very powerful. Do you want to be known? Sometimes the devil gets us in a hole. We feel down and discouraged. It won't be solved in the fortress of your house you have to come out and you've got a fellowship with God's people. If you're a believer, you have unity with everyone in this room that is a believer in Christ. It's something that is, it just is, it exists. And then secondly, we have fellowship by exhorting and encouraging and serving one another. You have to go out and connect yourself with people for that to happen. Can't happen in the privacy of your home. You say, Well, I'm kind of an introvert. That's okay. There'll be introverts at that small group. Not everyone is an extrovert. Aren't we glad everyone is not an extrovert? <sighs> My house is a mixture of introverts and extroverts. If we had all extroverts, we would be at war nonstop. I'm thankful that God has given us a just a diverse, set of ethnicity, a diverse set of personalities, a diverse set of, of intellectual understanding That's just, it's a rich tapestry it all reflects God's glory God wants you to connect we want this to be fellowship in practice those two components, union with Christ and union with one another in practice and that's what small group will do and what it's going to be comprised of is this. It'll be comprised of a host family. Now, the host family could also be a leader of that small group or not. It doesn't have to be. What does the host family do? The host family, once every three weeks, opens their home up and says, y'all come. You say, well, ooh, what, is that? what kind of preparation does that mean? Ah, eh, Not that much. My wife does it. She says it's no preparation at all. It's just, wow. No, she's giving me. I said that just for her benefit. Now, there is some preparation involved, but what we do is we coordinate that with one another, right? We say now, once the groups are divided, then the, the, the host or the, or the host leaders, they coordinate that and say, hey, we're all going to eat this this week, bring this. Everybody brings a meal. Bring all that stuff in the house. We set it up. We immediately eat, because generally it's around dinner time at the time we've done it on Saturday evening. We eat. We have a good time. We talk to one another, we laugh, talk about things that are serious, and then we kind of steer into a time of discipleship, a time of devotion, where we share something very simple from God's Word, and we just kind of commune on that. And then we have a word of prayer together. And then we chat a bit, and everyone goes back to their own house. It's not complex at all, very simple. Okay, There's nothing to be trained, you don't have to learn anything, you don't have to read a book, you just show up. But you know what we need? We need more host families. And primarily, we need two host families in this, that live in the geographic area of Monroe. So the Ruzics are going to do a small group host towards the west. The Hulls are going to do a small group host to the east of the church. So we need a couple of... Monroe families, we've got a lot of Monroe people coming to our church, and we're going to expand with more Monroe families. So what we're going to do is after the service, I'm going to stand, and after we go through and have our Lord's Supper and have a time of prayer, Pastor Jeff is going to remember to remind you that I'm going to be down front, and if you're interested in hosting, I want you to come and tell me. So we're also going to have a backup host. Say, well, what does the backup host do? Kind of self-explanatory. But it's in case someone at the, at the host family, if they get sick or something happens, they can't do it at their house. There's a backup. And they communicate in your small group the way you normally do, and then everybody meets at the backup. So I need some backup home. So you may say, oh, I don't know if I could do it every three weeks. Well, maybe you could do it never or once or twice during the entire season. If you're interested in that, come forward. We need some families, some men that will say, I would like to lead, or I would like to be, I would like to be kind of the backup leader. I'm interested in, in eventually learning how to do a small group because I see long range. This would be a great ministry for our family. We want to be more hospitable. We want an opportunity to reach out to our neighbors and to our friends. I'm very interested in that. I just don't know how I fit in yet. Come forward after the service. A very brief meeting. We'll get your names. I'll follow up. What we're going to do is we're going to start off with four locations, but we believe we'll probably need to expand that Okay, very soon. So I want you to think about this. The sermon is a sermon, right? We're challenged to live our lives according to the will of God. Now I'm giving you a tangible opportunity, a very specific ministry, to say, I want to live that, and I'm going to put it into practice in small group. We'll have some other meetings where we talk about Sunday school. We'll have some other meetings where we talk about vacation Bible school. There's other ministries, right? But what I'm saying today is small group. We have a focus on that. So I'm thankful that, that we had a chance to uh, kill the demon insect that was trying to interrupt the sermon. And uh, thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Uh, and I hope that you understood what I said and kind of felt it in the spirit I'm trying to say. It's not hard, rigid, hardcore. It's just opening up your heart and saying, I'm going to serve the Lord. You say, well, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I have the training. You don't have to be trained because we'll disciple you. We'll help you, okay? If you want to just learn more about it, come forward right after the service. This is coming up real soon, and this is a great opportunity. Pam and I made a decision some years ago we, had, we found ourselves being not so hospitable. We got, our lives got busy, and we just kind of closed down. And we felt we were missing something in life. And so we intentionally decided we were going to be more hospitable uh, with our life. And the way that you act on that is you just act on that. You just do it. Some of the best, sweetest small group meetings we had were in a very small house we had at 120 Syracuse Drive in Covington. Wonderful small groups. We were packed in there like sardines. But you know what? It was wonderful. Wonderful. Don't think about fellowship as a showcase for the size of a house or your furnishings. It's not about the things. It's about the people. Right? Right? It's about the people. So free yourself up from any kind of preconceived ideas of what it's supposed to look like. It starts with a willing heart. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and um, we'll see what God will do. Our Father, we love you. We're thankful that you love us and that you provided for us this great model of the servant. Not only a servant, but a servant all the way unto death, death on a cross. Lord, to you belongs all the glory and the praise. Lord, help us to live our lives intentionally that we glorify you. Help us to see the life of the Christian as one of sacrifice, as one of of potential suffering and persecution. But help us to know that you are with us, you love us, And you are going to enrich our lives as we serve you and as we serve these ones that we're to love with all our hearts in this church. And Lord, the ones that you will call. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the exhortation from St. Peter. And Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we partake of your table. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.